Hello, Charlie Gladstone here, and welcome to episode 13 of my Love in the Time of Coronavirus special edition. Thank you very much indeed for joining me. I figure that I have to finish this podcast series pretty soon because otherwise it's just going to go on forever, and I've really been seeing it as a time capsule a moment in time in the middle of the lockdown that we can record in some way. So I was going to finish it at 14 because I felt like two weeks of days was a good amount of time and seven is my lucky number as well. But there are too many responses to do that. So I'm going to run it to 15 and then I will end it. Blessed relief, I hear you say. Anyway, for those of you who have listened to these before, I'm sorry if I'm being a little bit repetitive, but if you haven't, I just want to tell you about the premise behind this. And that's quite simple, that I email or text or whatever a number of my friends and ask them three simple questions which they dial in the answers to. Where are you and who are you with? What good do you think will come out of this mess? And please tell me something really good that you have started doing or taken up again during this time. Anyway, let's get on with the show, as they say. First up, we have Patrick Grant. Um, Patrick will be known to many of you as the judge on the television series The Great British Sewing Bee, which has just started a new, I think it's sixth series on TV. He is essentially, though, a British fashion designer and director of Bespoke Tailors, Norton & Son of Savile Row, as well as his company E Torts and Sons and the brilliant Community Clothing. He also owns the factory Cookson and Clegg. I'm very flattered that Patrick gave me time to do this because I know that he's particularly busy at the moment transforming his workforce in the factory into creators of PPE. Uh, he says he's been working 100 hour weeks and I suspect that it's been more than that because of course Someone like Patrick doesn't stop working when he gets home. Anyway, um, without further ado from me, here is Patrick Grant. Hi, uh, loving a time of coronavirus podcaster listeners. Uh, this is Patrick Grant calling. Um, I'm not calling, I'm just talking. Um, I'm speaking to you this morning from the Cookson and Clegg factory in Blackburn. You might, in the background, just about make out the whirring of sewing machines. That's the sound of NHS scrubs being made. We, uh, we pivoted this factory over to production of scrubs a couple of weeks ago. It was a pretty amazing effort by the team here. 36 hours from the tech packs arriving from, from, from the customer to bulk fabric being unloaded from the wagon. It was a pretty amazing thing, something that would normally take about three months but they managed it and we got straight into production in serious volume. So we're making about a thousand pairs a week. We're also making several tens of thousands of antiviral snuds in this factory because PPE is a big issue and you know we're, we're working hard now actually on a mask manufacturing route. We're also working to try and see if the government can support a volunteer sewing service as well. So there's a lot going on. I'm, I'm living in a borrowed cottage on a farm in the top of Rossendale. A perfect stranger lent me his, lent me his spare house. Um, he's also getting my shopping in and helping with my laundry because he just wants to help, which is 
kind of the attitude that most people are taking here and it's it's been it's been quite it's been really it's been incredibly heartwarming uh to 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 see the response jaguar lent me a car thanks to them well thanks to colin and vicky for the house um but lots of community clothing factories have been involved with this effort cookson and clegg obviously is our own factory and we were very quick to move that one over but uh, I have to say a big thanks to Mitchell Interflex for helping us with the cutting out. They're a fabric mill. They normally work with, with CC. Um, Edward Taylor Textile lent us machinery. Eastman Staples lent us machinery. AJM Embroidery, who hopefully very soon will be making underwear for, for community clothing. They're going to be helping with some cutting. Uh, and some sewing. Um, it's been an amazing collective effort, and it's been, it, as I say, it's been, it's been for me personally, a very, um, it's been a very difficult time. Um, but having a purpose every day, and to be part of a group of people who, you know, when the chips are down, have just worked hard and come to work every day. I mean, my sewing staff are working 55 hours a week. Um, I'm probably racking up closer to 100 hours a week, but it feels every part of it feels worth it because, you know, having a purpose is is a rare joy. And I think if any good can come out of this, it's rediscovering that the people that make things have real value in our society. So that's the thought I'm going to leave you with. I hope you're having a, as good a time as you can. I hope you're keeping safe. Sending you my love in the time of coronavirus. Bye for now. Thank you very much indeed for taking the time, Patrick. That was sent at 7am one day, so that gives us an indication of how hard he is working. Next up, we have Felicity Cloak. Felicity is a writer who specialises in food and drink, and she's the author of six cookbooks and a winner of the Guild of Food Writers Awards for Food Journalist of the Year. We've had several chefs on this series thus far. We've had Gil Meller and Val Warner and Olia Hercules and Elisa Tomaschina and Xanthi Gladstone. We've also had of course Patricia Niven, the food stylist and photographer, but we haven't had a food writer. So I was delighted when Felicity agreed to speak to me. Last year I read Felicity's brilliant book, One More Croissant for the Road. It's a story of Felicity cycling generally by herself around France in search of several iconic dishes. Um, what's so brilliant about One More Croissant for the Road is that it is a love letter to France, but in writing that love letter, Felicity fundamentally understands that in order to love France, you have to see its immense crapness as well, the way everything is overcomplicated. And, nothing quite works properly. And I think that it's really important to understand that about France. It's not a negative per se, infuriating though it may be, but Felicity seems to understand that. And knowing France really well myself, that deeply resonated with me. I loved it and it's now out in paperback. So here's Felicity. Hi, this is Felicity Cloat, the Guardian's How to Make the Perfect columnist and author of One Mile Croissant for the Road, which is actually going to be out in paperback as well in July. Um, I am in lockdown in my very small London flat with my Cairn Terrier, Wilf. Um, and excitingly, we have recently been joined by a mouse or more probably a whole family of mice. Um, so things have got a lot less peaceful over recent days because Wilf is on permanent 
high alert um, for said mice. Uh, but to be honest, things could be worse. Um, I hope that if anything good can come out of this whole terribly sad situation, it's that more of us um, learn to appreciate the small things and um, things close to home. I think that a lot of us, uh, we travel a lot, we're used to sort of working hard, socialising a lot, um, just being out and always doing something. And I've noticed a lot of friends saying, oh, this is such a beautiful year for Blossom, or I'm really noticing um, the bird song this year. And yeah, maybe it's, it's, it's less air traffic. But one of the things that I noticed when I, I got Wilf the dog a few years ago and had to spend a lot of time, um, you know, walking him around the same London streets um, and, you know, spending a lot of time in parks was I noticed that Every year, the blossoms seem to be more extraordinarily beautiful. The autumn leaves seem to be um, just incredible. Um, flowers, suddenly I was noticing the scent of sort of evening jasmine and things on our late night walks. And I realised it wasn't that every year was particularly special. It was that I was noticing it more because I was taking the time. I didn't have anything else to do. Um, and so I'm hoping that we can all you know remember those those small things and take pleasure from things like you know um super moons or just looking at the stars or you know looking watching birds for sort of 15 minutes from the kitchen window um and also i've been really heartened i've been sort of helping a few local people with shopping and prescriptions and things and i've been really heartened um how kind people are and living in London particularly I think that we sometimes forget that most people are fundamentally good kind people that want to go out of their way to help other people um so I hope we remember that um when things go back to sort of normal and you know we don't forget how it is to sort of be in a community um the thing that I have found myself doing a lot more of um is reading which sounds like a small achievement um but I was such a big bookworm as a child and I was the kind of kid that always had you know a paperback um in my coat pocket and was always to be found just, you know somewhere hidden um with a book and I stopped that just because I you know so busy if I wasn't out then I would feel like I ought to be working or you know doing something constructive and for some reason just sitting down with a book you know felt like it felt really decadent but I realized that the pleasure of just sitting not for you know 15 minutes before we're going to sleep but just spending half an afternoon sitting in the sun really getting into a book, immersing myself in that world um, and, you know, not looking at Twitter or, um, you know, wasting time um, replying to messages immediately, but just reading and enjoying a book. Um, and over East Weekend, I was delighted. I read a book a day, um, which I can't remember the last time I did that when I wasn't on holiday. So I'm hoping that that's a habit um, that will continue because it's just bringing me so much more joy than being on social media endlessly. So yeah, fingers crossed. Stay safe, everyone. Thank you very much indeed, Felicity. I just wanted to play you a bit of music now. Have you come across Kevin Morby? I, I hadn't come across him until recently. Morby is an American musician and songwriter and singer, and um, he even has his own record label. I suppose it's kind of alternative folk music, 
that he that he plays. And as far as I can work out, everything that he has produced, and there's quite a lot of it, is is absolutely brilliant. He seems to be very little known in this country, and that should change. Just to give you a taste of what he sounds like, I thought I'd play you one of the songs of his that I love most. Although most of the stuff that I've come across by him is so good that that you could connect with him almost anywhere. But I'm just going to play this song. It's called Farewell Transmission by Kevin Morby. side of the town mm-hmm. Suddenly it all went down Now we'll all be brothers of mm-hmm. The fossil fire of the sun Someone must have set them up Now they'll be working in the cold gray rock Now they'll be working in the hot mill steam Now they'll be working in the concrete In the sirens and silences now All the great Set up hearts All at once They start to be
like that I thought that was, it's a great song that next up is Vivian Rickman Poole Vivian is an educator an artist an outdoor swimmer and an adventurer For those of you who have been to the good life experience will probably know her work because she's come to us at least four years and she's also been one of the principal educators at one of our outdoor camps at Glendie You may also have seen some of the films involving Viv. There's in fact a video by the band Elbow for their beautiful song, 
Angel, which centres entirely around Vivian Rickman Pool. I'm a big fan. Here's Vivian. Hi, Charlie, and thank you very much for inviting me to do this. Um, I hope you and all your family are, are well. So, where am I? I'm spending this time down on the south coast in the New Forest with my partner Ben and his son Joe. We're close to my dear old dad, which means I can fetch his shopping when he needs it, and I can physically see him. I mean, albeit from a safe distance at the end of his path, but all the same, it's it's really nice to actually just see him and check that he's okay. Um, yeah, it's, it's quite emotional, really, seeing him. Um, dad and I have a virtual coffee morning via FaceTime every day, um, and, and, that, and catching up with him is my absolute highlight of the day. But, yeah, physically seeing him is, is just really special. Um, at home, we're really lucky. We have a beautiful little stream that runs through the garden. Um, and it's become a bit of a sanctuary. I take myself there early every morning with, a, with my first coffee and have a bit of quiet time. Just listen to the world go on, sort of around me. Um, listen to the birds, listen to the stream. And I usually write a few words. And it's that side of my creative work I've been trying to keep going every day. So what good do I think is going to come out of it all? Um, I don't know, I think we, we know that the world is going to be a very different place, but already it feels like there's a little bit more compassion. Uh, I, I've certainly noticed that, you know, when people cross the road, um, you know, to social distance, everybody makes sure that they make eye contact and, and give you a little bit of a smile. Um, I don't know, and there's, there's a depth to people noticing um, that the planet's starting to heal itself and there has to be more compassion and action for climate change after this. Yeah, there just, there has to be. So something that I've been doing, while well, I, I struggle with being indoors, so I'm, yeah, super pleased that it's sunny out and I've been outside in the garden most of the time, uh, been doing lots of gardening, I've been planting seeds, I've created a veggie patch, already the garlic carrots and rhubarb are in their new home. Uh, I was a little bit worried when it was a bit of a frost sort of uh, predicted the other night, but everything's okay. Um, I've dug flower beds. I've created an area for wildflowers down by the stream. Um, we've eaten really well. I enjoy cooking something new. Um, so uh, I've been doing a little bit of experimenting in the kitchen. And in between, when the clouds have appeared, I've been starting the huge task of bringing all my work together for my Swing Snowdonia project for a new book. So, uh, yeah, that's what I've been, uh, been doing with my time. So, thanks very much. Finally today, we have James Arnold and his answers to my questions. James is an animator and illustrator and graphic designer and he has recently done a lot of work for us, some of it under our 50-50 scheme to help creative freelancers. But he's been making wonderful animations for Glendie Cabins and Cottages, which you can see if you go to the Instagram account for that. He's also made beautiful little icons for me and Caroline and all of our creative team. If you go onto my at Chaz Gladstone Instagram thing, you will see my icon there. And so I thought it would be fun, although we've never met, for me to ask James for his answers to my questions. And this is what he came back with. 
It's James, it's West Wales, and um, I'm here with a dog. I think you've probably heard her earlier on. I've left Amy, my wife, in the house. Um, my children um, are not here. Lily's in Leeds and Joe is in Bristol. Uh, but we're here in West Wales, down the end of a bumpy track. Um, things are uh, still pretty much the same. Um, nothing has changed. Um, isolation hasn't really changed what we're doing. We're still just um, taking the dog for a walk uh, to the beach every morning. Uh, coming back, pottering around, doing bits and pieces. Um, I'm still doing a bit of graphic design work, although it's a bit slow, but I think because things have changed, things aren't quite the same, are they? Um, it, it, it's all a bit different. It's all a bit different. Um, hang on, I'll just look at my notebook, but it's open at the wrong page. What good will come of this mess? Charlie asked me. Um, I don't know. I'd like... I'd like to think good things would come of this mess. I'd like to think we're all going to be doing Pilates and cooking brownies and helping old people. Um, that's what we see that people are doing and clapping and playing instruments and raising money for the NHS. I'd love that. I'd love it. I don't know, but I just... I'd love that. If that if that happened and we and 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 we and and we appreciate the NHS and we we're happy to give more money to the NHS and pay more taxes and appreciate the key workers, I'd love that. Nothing has changed really. I, I'm still walking the dog. I'm still doing a bit of graphic design, a bit of gardening, whitewashing the house. Just doing bits and pieces. I'm not doing much, much different. I'm still buying wild boar crisps from the deli down the road. You know, it's like I'm not. I don't know. It's just like I'm not the right person. I think to be talking to. But um, I know that Charlie's been talking about. Hang on, this is a good one. I know that Charlie's been talking about. Um, slowing down and the slow podcast or the, what do you call it the slow cast or the pod slow or anyway something like that but we're talking about double albums remember that and um i was trying to think what double album i would recommend charlie's listeners i can't think of any well actually the first thing that came to my mind was uh, I don't, please don't mock me for this. Frankie goes to Hollywood. Welcome to the Pleasure Dome. It was, I think it's the only thing I can think of. I was like, Amy, my wife, who's inside now. I mentioned it. Uh, oh, there's the dog. Mentioned it to her earlier on, and I said I'm going to talk to Charlie about my double album, and she said, don't mention Frankie goes to Hollywood. And I thought, well, I've got to mention it because it's the first thing that came to mind. And I said, you tell me a better double album that you can think of in 10 seconds and she went I went 10 9 do you know what she said you know what she said Charlie she said fame the double album fame I think well 
You can either play something from Frankie Goes Hollywood or something from Fame. Your choice, Charlie. See you later. Bye-bye. Thank you very much, James. Now, I've been talking about double albums, as he quite rightly points out, but I'm afraid I'm not going to talk about Fame or Welcome to the Pleasure Dome now. I've decided to settle on something else, and that is London Calling by The Clash. Now, to reiterate, I've been talking about double albums recently because those are the longer albums, the albums that it was always much harder to get into. In the digital age, enormous proportion of albums are double albums because the compulsion to edit due to the amount of music you can fit onto a side of vinyl has completely disappeared. But when, it, when we lived in the age of vinyl, it was a rare and exciting thing when an artist that you loved came out with a double album. Today I'm going to talk about London Calling by The Clash, one of the greatest double albums ever. If you've been listening carefully, and I hope you have to this podcast series, you'll know that I did talk about Sandinista recently, the triple album that immediately succeeded London Calling. And during that ramble, I said that I didn't like the track London Calling itself. I used to, I used to love it, but I feel like it's just been so used now. It's almost become shorthand for Cool Britannia in films. I think it even appears in a James Bond film. And I've just reached a point of no return fatigue with it. But the rest of the album is absolutely astonishing. And it is a band completely at the peak of their powers. I mean, the first side it opens with London Calling, and then it goes into a brilliant cover of Brand New Cadillac. Beautiful song, Jimmy Jazz, Hateful, Rudy Can't Fail. It's also got tracks like Spanish Bombs and Lost in the Supermarket and Death of Glory, Revolution Rock. I mean, it goes on and on. And at the very end, on the vinyl, and by the way, I think that my vinyl has a sticker on it saying, pay no more than £3 for this album. I mean, best £3 I've ever spent. Anyway, at the end, it has the astonishing Train in Vain, which isn't actually listed on the sleeve of the record. One of The Clash's best songs, written by Mick Jones. I'm going to end today with Train in Vain by The Clash. I will speak to you tomorrow. Thank you. Bye.